Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We conclude our series today, The Time of Your Life, with a message titled, Why a Pilgrimage? So let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Hebrews 11:13 says of the great heroes in the Old Testament, all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Wow, all these died. Read it again. All these died. The book of Job teaches that all our days are but a shadow. If you think back on that time before the great flood, I mean, lifespans went on for hundreds of years. It surely would not, don't you think, seem like a shadow if you're going to live 900 years. And yet, even among these, all these died. And now that a great amount of time has passed, we don't remember most of the ancients that lived there. Their lives were but a shadow. We don't remember them. You see, and this is the first reason why it's a mistake not to think of our lives as a pilgrimage. You see, first, our lives are a pilgrimage because our lives are short. I met someone the other day. He said he was in his middle years and he was 60. Something about that being the new 40. It was a delusion. I mean, what did he think was the middle years? I mean, did he think he was going to live to be 120? He wasn't in the middle years. He was in the third period of the hockey game. You are middle age when you're 40 to 45. Now, now those of you who are in your 20s and 30s, I mean, you might be tempted to say, I, I'm going to live for a long time yet. I mean, maybe I'll be a pilgrim later. But Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto a man once to die, and after that the judgment. Don't think for a moment that you can escape your appointment with death. For some of us here, God may have written us into his daytimer for this year. This is your appointment with death, regardless of your age. If you're young, you need to listen to the aged. All of them say the same thing. Life is short. Those of you who are old all say... I'm frankly surprised at how fast it's gone. Life is short. I would think that was an established fact. Second, we should see our lives as a pilgrimage because whereas life is short, eternity is long. How does one get a sense of eternity? I know that some of us think this is an issue because time will cease to exist in eternity, but the Bible doesn't say that. I think we get the idea from the old hymn, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. But That thought's actually not found in the Bible. In fact, I think the opposite is there. The Bible speaks of heaven as having months and seasons. You'll find it in Revelation 22. You know, that speaks of the eternal marking of time or the the rhythms of life. I would argue that heaven will have yearly pilgrimages. I can't, in the brief time that I've given on this topic, explain why I think so, but I think it to be exciting. I mean, patterns of conduct, the marking of the sequence of time. We will be aware when we're in eternity how long we've been there. John Newton wrote, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And that's a remarkable thought. But here, during the days of our pilgrimage, we can never say there's an infinite amount of time ahead of us. Given biblical expressions of time in eternity, how does one track time in eternity? Will we measure the years as we do here? I don't know. Here we have broken time into two eras, B.C. and A.D. 
will we mark time then since the return of Christ and since the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth? And what will be the year 382 or 1744 or 2001 or 28,472 or 400 million and one be like? And will we say, wow, we've been here a long time and I'm so content and yet it seems like I've only begun. What will it be like looking into eternity, an eternity of learning and growing and accomplishing of things and deepening in our understanding of worship? And still, I have only begun. How long is eternity? A question's unanswerable. And because life is short and eternity is long, how should we then live the days of our pilgrimage on earth? As we journey to our heavenly home, as we live through many dangers, toils, and snares, as we face our future home, how should we live? You see, we need practical instructions as to how to live and think while on pilgrimage. And so Hebrews 11:13 to 16 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, I want you to pay attention to several phrases. Notice the words, seeking a homeland. Then notice the phrase, strangers and exiles. And then we read of never returning. And finally, of desiring a better country. In other words, their lives are spent journeying, seeking, and looking toward the day when they go home. They're anticipating, they're yearning, they're searching. And from that, I think I can draw some very practical applications to our pilgrimage today. First, and I've said it before, but it bears repeating, don't fear loss, aging, and death. Why? Because you're not on a restless search to try to find out how you can stay here. I had a conversation with a Christian man who once said he was putting his hope in cryogenics and the hope that down the road, we really will defeat the aging process and live forever. Wow. I mean, you have to wonder if he'd read the Bible and believed it. You know, with sin comes death. God has cursed the human race with death in the present era. Death was defeated not in a cryotube, but at the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope is in the promise of God. Had he forgotten? Ah, but he feared death. He was determined never to let go and go on a journey to the promised land. So let me get back to the statement. If you hope in Christ, don't fear death and aging and loss. First, the idea of loss. See, I've got a little theory about life. We spend the early part of our lives gaining. And then after that, we spend the the last greatest portion of our lives losing what we have gained until we've lost everything in this world. So when we're born, we've not yet gained an education, but we have gained a family. And then we gain in maturity. And then we gain an education. And then we gain friends. And we gain a career. And we gain a life partner. And we gain children. And we gain a house. And we gain plans. And we gain a reputation. But then the losing starts all too quickly. We begin to lose our youth, and some of us are frightened of that. We've gained all the children that we're going to gain, and some would argue, yeah, but we still get grandchildren, and yeah, many of us do, but no more gaining and growing the nuclear family. The children move out, and the house becomes emptier and quieter. 
We move toward retirement. We lose our job. We start to lose friends to death. If we really live long, like so many Canadians want to do, we're going to outlive our spouse and maybe some of our children. And maybe we'll outlive our freedom to do what we want and we'll be left dreadfully alone in one of those, you know, those homes called Sunset Manor. Now, doesn't that sound like the gains are gone and the losses are here? But if you're on a pilgrimage, don't worry too much. Why would you worry about the loss of a country you are simply passing through? So let's talk about aging. It's very popular after we get to a certain age, no longer to mention our age. What woman happily announces to all of her friends, guess what, I'm 40, I'm so excited. When did that happen? I mean, talk to a child and they'll say, guess what, I'm five. That child will hold up all the fingers on one hand, but as the years go by, we equate aging with losing and we begin to fear. And so it is that we face death. And I suspect that what we're doing is portraying a settler's attitude, not a pilgrim attitude. Now, before you get too depressed, let me quote some scripture. Ecclesiastes 7.1, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death better than the day of life. Really? Do you think so? Listen to Psalm 116.15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Philippians 1.23, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In other words, the fear of loss and aging and death is the slavery of Satan given to those who have adopted the settler lifestyle. By the resurrection of Jesus, death has lost its power to terrify. Why should you fear death? You wouldn't if you were convinced that there's overwhelming evidence of the truth of God's promises. At that point, death is the portal that gets you where you're going. Yeah, the portal may be dark and the portal may be painful, but it's a portal. It's not a cul-de-sac. We're missing you and the opportunities we've had in the past to meet you face-to-face, share in times of worship and laughter, and the study of God's Word. So enough is enough. Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again, and In Doubt are excited to invite you to our 2021 special virtual event called The Gathering, coming on Sunday, September 19th. Enjoy an exclusive message from Dr. John Newfeld, hosted by Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway, and musical guests that will enrich our time together in worship. Last September, people from right across Canada attended online in their offices, homes, on their computers, or even their phones. It was so encouraging celebrating our common passion for the Bible and the significance of teaching biblical truths to a new generation. More information is on the way, so keep an eye out at backtothebible.ca or sign up for the daily audio mail or monthly ministry email update while you're there, or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. If you've lost a loved one recently, don't grieve too much as those who have no hope. If they knew Christ, they were on a journey while they were here in your presence, and now they've reached their destination. 
Of course we grieve the loss of their presence and we miss them, but we're not in despair. They simply got home. I'll never forget standing beside the bedside of a dying saint and I watched her eyes dance with joy as she took my hand and said, Pastor, I'm so excited, I'm almost home. Why do you fear the fulfillment of your journey? No, no, greet every year that you get older as a precious gift along your journey. Celebrate 30, then 40, then 50, then 60, 70, 80, and beyond. So that's the first instruction to the pilgrim, don't fear. Second, avoid the treasures of Egypt. Hebrews 11:15 says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. See, the writer of Hebrews says that when we're seeking a better land, we don't return to the land we leave. And in order to illustrate that principle, the writer takes us to the discussion of Moses. Hebrews 11:24 to 27. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So let's discuss the treasures of Egypt, shall we? For Moses, that meant wealth, pleasure, fame, and power. He turned his back on what was called the good life, and by becoming a pilgrim, he embraced the life of mistreatment and became identified with a slave nation. For many today, that seems ludicrous whether it's lotteries that encourage us to get rich quick, or whether it's a life of pleasure apart from commitment, our world screams at us that we can get everything out of this life. And we feel unhappy if this life doesn't live up to our expectations. I'm about to get practical here. There are some who even claim to put their hope in Christ, and yet they're spending their entire lives planning their own wealth in a way that invests every last dollar into this place. And if that's you, you probably dream of the day you won't have to work anymore, or the day when you'll become the president of your company, or the day your farm will be the largest in the country, or the day when everyone speaks well of you. You know, when no one else is with you and you're alone with your thoughts, is it that you rarely think of heaven? What a tragedy. It was C.S. Lewis who put the matter well. He said, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now I say this because some of us think that we can be satisfied with making mud pies in the backyard, but that's only because we've never seen a vision of the grandness of the ocean. The greatest this earth has to offer is but a slum compared to that which is held out to us. And if we ignore the greater and eternal wealth of Christ, we will abandon the pilgrim life and we will abandon the hope of real joy. Your life will have been wasted. You will have traded in your eternity for mud pies of today. And that will be your greatest temptation. 
Satan will try to get you to abandon the pilgrim life, or as Paul puts it, you will stop being careful in how you walk. Satan will attempt you to sink all your roots into the mud pie, the slum. He will tell you that the great rewards in this life are so much that you will speak of them often and you'll never consider the riches of Christ. He will try to tell you that you can long for this earth and then get heaven as well. He will tell you your best life is now and he'll lure you into the settler's life. You need to avoid the treasures of Egypt. They're fleeting and just a while, they're gonna be gone. Hope in this life always, not sometimes, but always ends in heartache and infinite loss. Third, think about heaven every day. Can I say that? You should do that. You know, some of you are going to say, I I didn't even know how to do that. Some time ago when I gave a sermon on John 14 in my church, I had made a comment something like this. I said, there are times in my life when I'm simply homesick for heaven. It's as if my heart aches for a country that I've never seen before, but I know that all that I am was made for that country, and I'm not content until I'm there. And after I was done that sermon, a number of people had the courage to come and speak to me about it. Some of them said, I've never felt homesick for heaven one day in my life. Look at Hebrews 13, 16 again. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, on the basis of that, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The key word is the word desire. What I wish to foster in you is a craving for heaven. If you're journeying there, wouldn't you think about it every day? For what else would motivate you to carry on as a pilgrim and not just become a settler? If you don't yearn and wish for heaven, you won't develop the lifestyle that Christ desires. When I read Jesus, he actually talks this way all the time. For instance, Luke 6, 22 to 23. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. I mean, why suffer and be inconvenienced and give yourself to mission and drag yourself home from a hard day of work only to go to a Bible study or stand up and witness for Jesus or do your devotions? You don't do that because of legalism, at least you shouldn't. You should do that because you're desperate for the pilgrim lifestyle and that you pray that when you don't feel like it, that you give money anyway until it hurts because your home is in another place. Why? You long for, you passionately desire and yearn for a country that is not your own. Or have you become a settler? Let me go back to Ephesians 5, 15 to 16, where I started this series. It said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. See, one of the questions that we asked right at the beginning of this conversation is this. Why does Paul say the days are evil? See, and one reason might be is the answer that he gives later in chapter 6, verse 12. There, there Paul speaks about this present darkness, a time in which we are locked in a battle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is for Paul a great battle against the demonic host that always seeks our undoing. But earlier in Ephesians 2 verse 2, Paul also spoke of the prince of the power of the air. And then in the middle of Ephesians chapter 4 27, Paul speaks of becoming vigilant, that we give no opportunity to the devil. 
Paul seems always to be aware that life on this side of eternity is spiritual warfare in which we're locked in mortal conflict with a great host of evil angels, Satan as their leader. Now, that's one of the reasons the days are evil, but of course there are other reasons as well. As we read through Ephesians, Paul also warns us of our own evil desires. We may see something in this seductive world that so attracts us that we forget the journey to the new Jerusalem. Our eyes are taken off the prize. We indulge in the fantasy that things will really go on forever. In other words, Paul wants us to see this present world not as a friendly place, not as a country where we become comfortable. There's a strange tension in Scripture. On the one hand, Christians look at the present world and they sing with great joy. They sing, this is my father's world. I rest me in the thought. All nature sings. Around me rings the music of the spheres. We observe the complexity of nature and we marvel at the creator's design and we glory in what he has made. And yet, this world is also the place where something horribly foreign and diabolical has happened. And it has come in the clothing of a call to forget the living God. And so our God speaks to his vulnerable children. Watch how you use your time. Seize the moment, knowing that the moment is a gift from the hands of a loving and a merciful God. Come to terms with your sin. Confess them to Christ. Reach out to him, knowing his grace will provide you what you need. See, time is a gracious gift of God. Even though our time on this earth is short, as we surrender to Christ and receive his gift of eternal life, we begin to recognize that we can seize every moment and make the most of the days. This is a preparation for the life that is to come. Thanks, John, a great series. Uh, you know, this fall, we're releasing a new book you've written on the subject of heaven and hell. How will that speak to the time that we spend on this earth? Thank you for that question, Ben. I, I, know I decided to write on heaven and hell simply because I, I think there needs to be more teaching on this subject matter. And I think especially for believers whose hope is in Christ, uh, we need to have this, this perspective constantly before us that we are journeying on the way to a celestial city and uh, therefore, uh, we were not going to stay here. We were going to move forward to that. And so the more that we put our hope in this, uh, that the more it will make sense out of the lives that we live now, the less fear we'll have of the passing of time and the greater joy. Looking forward to the book, John. Thanks so much. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. This month, don't forget to ask for the Time of Your Life five-message Bible teaching series as our free Bible resource on CD. As you listen along and examine what the Bible has to say about how we use the time you've been given, you'll be equipped and encouraged to make your days matter for eternity. When you request your copy of the Time of Your Life, would you pray for more and more people to access these life-transforming riches in the pages of the Bible? Every day this teaching, verse by verse, reaches out across Canada and around the world on radio and print and online so that all might receive and experience a life filled with purpose. Back to the Bible Canada is so grateful for your support. 
To order The Time of Your Life or make a gift to support this ministry, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.